Smile Films, the film review podcast that mixes cinema with fine spirits. Journey with us as we encounter new, old, and even strange films with the occasional dabble into sports and music. Proceed with caution, as these podcasts will feature spoilers and some mature language. This is Matt. And this is Jesse. Today on Tap, we have Glass, starring James McAvoy, Bruce Willis, Sarah Paulson, and Samuel L. Jackson, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. And we'd like to welcome the listeners to the third episode of Rye Smile Films as we tackle the third film in the Eastrail 177 trilogy, Glass. And we're going to put the final nail in this cask uh, for, for, for this trilogy, and we're going to be starting a new series of films next week, which we'll reveal at the end of the podcast. So we all hope that you've taken the time to go out and see Glass as... We- the intro does state we will be talking about it with spoilers, but um, it is important to see, you know, the final part of this trilogy so you can see how it fits along with with the other two. And we will be uh, diving right into that uh, with some considerable detail. But before we get started, I'd like to propose uh, the flight to Matt for the week. And since we're talking about trilogies and the third entries in series you know that kind of got us thinking about you know what the the best third entry in a series is so question or to matt that's my question to you best is a little tough to pinpoint and as i kind of went through this i thought a lot about horror films which seem to be quite quite prevalent when it comes to trilogies and of course there's a superhero thing that's working a lot now but actually this is a little bit different and I'm going to go with Sergio, Le- Sergio Leone's penultimate end to the story of The Man With No Name, which is The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. I think with the story as it was set up with a fistful of dollars and a few dollars more and Clint Eastwood, to finish the film the way that he did, Lee Van Cleef is fantastic, as Angel Eyes, um, you know, Eli Wallach probably leaves a little bit to be desired as the rough and tumble uh, hombre, <laughs> but nonetheless, I I I love that film. It I, when I watch it, I can almost feel the sand in my teeth. I thought it's shot very very well. You know, this is the spaghetti western, the best that they ever did. Right, this is the the, the top of the hill, and I think that to finish off that series, they do a really good job. And my favorite sequence is the end. I know mm-hmm. it's long and mm-hmm. it's really drawn out, but mm-hmm. it's the looking back and forth and who's going to pull the trigger first. And mm-hmm. I actually just love it. And the music completely works for me. Bit of controversy with that. I know not everyone loves that film, mm-hmm. but for me, it's Sergio Leone's The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Excellent. Yeah, the music in that by Ennio Morricone is, that's one of the best soundtracks of all time. You know, mm. it, it songs like, uh, you know, the intro and the... Yeah, exactly. And there's a title track in the in the soundtrack called Ecstasy of Gold that um is played over while Eli Wallach's looking for the grave at the end there. Yeah. And that's actually um that's been used as an intro tune to many of Metallica's shows. They're like they're pretty big fans of this movie, so they use that they use that song um in their in their shows. But yeah, that end it's it's one of the, you know, best shot uh sequences and all of film and the close-ups you you're right you feel the tension you know on those those three characters and i think even tarantino has gone on record saying he thinks this is the the best directed film of of all time of all time mm-hmm. the part when eli wallach leaves uh, the man with no name 
in the middle of the desert and we find him later with his lips blistered and his skin essentially peeled off. Mm -hmm. That is so hard to watch. And it really, for a a much younger period in Hollywood that didn't have some of the effects that we did now, Mm -hmm. terrific makeup too. I know that's weird to talk about in a Western film, I think. Yeah. But man, he, he just looks Mm -hmm. well baked, sun baked. Mm -hmm. So well done. And he gets on that horse and you're pretty sure that there's nothing left and he's going to cough up some sand and that's going to be it any minute. And somehow, yeah. He kind of shines through it. I just, yeah, I mm-hmm. love that film. It's a great capper to a trilogy. Of those of you who haven't seen it, um, you should see the whole series, Fistful of Dollars, Few Dollars More, Good, Bad, and the Ugly. But it's a very satisfying conclusion to the Man With No Name trilogy. All right. Okay, Jesse, your turn. So I thought about this for a while, too. And, you know, much like yourself, you know, I could have gone with something like, you know, Lord of the Rings or, yeah. you know, Capper to Nolan's Batman trilogy. But I kept coming back to one that, you know, sometimes I struggle. This might be the best in the series. I don't think that, but this is, for a third film, I think it's the best, and that's Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. To, you know, return the series back to its surge of religious artifacts is, you know, where it really works. You know, not necessarily, you know, the quest for crystal skulls and Shankara stones. Yeah. But to see the on-screen pairing of Harrison Ford and Sean Connery's like a match made in heaven. Those two play off each other so well. And, you know, Henry and Junior, it's it, it's all just, it's it's just so satisfying to, to see it. And it's... A great adventure yarn set during World War II, the quest for the Holy Grail. You know, I'm always quoting, like, the knight's line at the end of the movie. Like, if someone hasn't done something or made the wrong choice, I always say, you have chosen poorly. Mm. (laughs) So I'm always quoting that one. And the series probably should have ended here. It could not have ended more perfectly with Henry, Indiana, Sala, and Marcus Brody literally riding off into the sunset, like... It's, it's such a fitting ending to a pretty entertaining, any, you know, Temple of Doom has its haters, but that's not even a bad film either. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not Indiana Jones, so it suffers from that, but it's not. Mm-hmm. I, the part that you're talking about with you have chosen poorly part. Mm-hmm. I find myself thinking about that scene a lot too. Here's hundreds of chalices mm-hmm. and you have to pick the one. Mm-hmm that is the most ordinary or plain. Mm -hmm. It's such a smart way to write that Mm because usually you would think, let's go with the most ornate. Exactly. And you get into the history of where the jewels came from and that's a whole story in in and of itself. Mm -hmm. How do you rate Mm -hmm. what's the most ornate? But yet it's not. It's what's the most plain. Mm -hmm. I love that sequence too. I think that's a terrific choice. And Mm -hmm. um, That was one of those films too that I also agree with you. I think... The second installment of the Indiana Jones movie is unfairly criticized, mm-hmm. but that movie literally resurrected itself mm-hmm. with a really, really good entry, only to then to be crucified a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's a great choice. I love that film. Too. It's a, it's a great example of a series that should have stopped while it was. That's yeah. the capper. That's the comedian telling the final joke, and then like, all right, we'll see you next week. That's yeah. that's this ending, and then to have like the capper. We won't we won't get into that. Um, but yeah, I think those are two pretty solid third entries in a series. Yeah. And, um, we'll come back to that at the end with, with, with the nightcap, but, um, yeah, let's get here to what everyone's anticipating, which is, you know, the breakdown and review of glass. So we're going to start this off with a brief synopsis. Glass picks up three weeks after the events of split with David Dunn 
working with his now adult son Joseph at a security store that they both run, the perfect front for their nighttime vigilante crime-fighting duties in Philadelphia. Uh, They take their time taking down petty criminals, uh, probably purse snatchers and whatever comes their way, but right now they're really trying to hone in on locating the Horde, Kevin Wendell Crumb, which this leads them to find him in an abandoned uh, warehouse where he is keeping four cheerleaders uh, captive. It is at this time when David Dunn, who is now going by the name The Overseer, does battle with the 24th personality in Kevin, The Beast. Through this battle, you know, we get to see the sheer strength of David, which doesn't seem like it's aged a day, and the sheer strength of the beast and um, just the, the, the rage and furiosity that he, that he carries. They are stopped mid-fight by the authorities, led by Dr. Ellie Staple, who then um, arrests them and takes them to uh, a mental institution, the same mental, mental institution that's housing Elijah Price, who we last saw at the end of Unbreakable. Now, Ellie's main goal is to disprove David and Kevin and Elijah's abilities that they are nothing more than people living out fantasies, delusions of grandeur, and she's going to use every method in the book through almost like shock treatment, lobotomy, reverse psychology, just to hammer in the point that they are not anything special at all. So this leads us to the personalities kind of getting to, you know, see one another and especially David getting to see Mr. Glass for the first time in 19 years. But it all leads to Elijah, the mastermind that he was in the first one, becoming the mastermind again in this one, breaking out of his 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 confines, seducing and I'm going to say seducing the beast <laughs> to, to bring him forward so that they can team up. To not only escape, but uh, take down anything that comes in their way with the end goal, bringing down and destroying a building, uh, a newly uh, open building that's in uh, downtown Philadelphia. So David's not going to let this happen, and he escapes to, to stop them all that he can. In the meantime of all this, we're introduced to the other characters, uh, Joseph and Casey Cook from Split and Mrs. Price from Unbreakable, who are all trying to valiantly um, still connect with those locked up and finding kind of a mutual bond uh, together as well. But this all hits uh, a boiling point when when they do indeed break out. The authorities arrive again, but they kind of let them they kind of let them duke it out for a bit, and this leads us into you know the the, the smash finale, if we want to call it that of glass which we probably want to say for talking about at the end because i think that's where you know a lot of conversations gonna gonna be had so so i want to ask you real quick matt before we kind of get into it what are your initial impressions of glass before i went into the film i sat with myself on this for a while and my question on this was how was i going to evaluate this film and there's some things that just by the nature of the film are working against itself. Namely, number one, it's the end of essentially a 20-year journey. If you've been waiting for something for 20 years and you have followed all the peaks and valleys along the way to get to what's the culminating moment, it's a little tough for that to feel 
those immensely huge shoes. And if you all listen to the first podcast, and by the way, those people that have, we appreciate you again today. Uh, Jesse, and how about to them? How about to the people that got on early? We appreciate you guys very yes, much. Yes, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for joining us on this journey, and we hope you, you stay on the East Rail 177 train with us. It's almost an impossible standard to meet. Okay, so I made my peace with that, and then I said, are you going to rate this film in accordance to what you think about one of your favorite films of all time? Because there's only five or six films that hold the place that Unbreakable holds for me. The Hustler, Shawshank Redemption, we could go on and on. There's five or six films, very few. That's not a fair criticism. Secondly, so are you rating it against the the quality product before or are you rating this film in accordance with other films at the same time? Like just generally in films, what's your what's your score? I don't know if I ever came to an answer on that. Okay. Um if it's not for Unbreakable and it's not for Split, we never get glass. Mm-hmm. So being that it's the third part in a story, it does, by definition or default, tie itself to the trilogy. But that being said, for years I've made this point to you, and I guess I'll make it to our reader, I'm sorry, our listeners right now. We often hear, the movie wasn't as good as the book. Whether it's Harry Potter, mm-hmm. Fifty Shades Grey, mm-hmm. or whatever it might yep. be. yep. And I've always been troubled with that because it's not the book. It's the movie. Mm -hmm. So whatever all of that means, I wish I could come to an answer, but I still don't have one. It is going to be reflected in the review because I just decided if you're going to tell a three-part story, and especially with the flight that we started today and the Mm -hmm. theme that we're looking at, Mm -hmm. which is this trilogy, this East Rail 177 cast, Mm -hmm. I need to be consistent. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to say right away, like mm-hmm. I'm not going to go to the specificity of the grade just yet, but in my opinion, it's the weakest of the three. Mm-hmm. That being said, there are still some moments. Okay. My big, big takeaway initially, I had two things that crossed my mind. I thought David Dunn was criminally underused in this film and disposed of in a way that was quite troubling for me. And the second thing was the triumvirate that you just mentioned, which I think is interesting, but that's also a threesome, right? Casey. Casey. Joseph. Joseph and Mrs. Glass, Mama Glass. <laughs> do we even ever know her name? I've been calling do. her Grandma Glass <laughs> okay. these last couple days. As what's left of this, this really cool trio that this movie introduced, I almost felt like I was looking at the birth of the Teen Titans. <laughs> I hate the Teen Titans. No one cares about Robin and Diana Troy and Beast Boy or Cyborg. Like, they're, it's B-list schlock. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're left with. Mm-hmm. So it already sounds like what I'm going is terrible, terrible film. I'm not going to say it's terrible. Mm-hmm. That's my initial takeaway. Okay. Okay. How about you? It's so my initial takeaway. You know, I was kind of in that same camp with you that glass almost aspires it's it's going up the unassentable mountain of expectations at least our expectations of you know what we want this to be with solid entries in both unbreakable and split like how could this also you know there's a way it can be but like in the back of my head i'm like there's a chance this isn't going to be as exciting or as satisfying as the prior two entries and i was and i was okay with that at no point in this in the viewing of glass did i feel it was reaching happening or lady in the water levels of bad 
it's not as bad as those films. No way. Not even close. No like, way. I right. never did I, like, really, like, hate myself. I think I was more so... <laughs> hate myself for watching this. I think I was more so perplexed by the choices made by Shyamalan. Um, both... Um, and it all... all in a story perspective, I think you know, I think the acting performances are again pretty on par for the most part, and you know very beautifully shot, beautifully staged. I just think I don't think this is the story and the direction that could have best benefited all three of these films. Um, go ahead to that story and direction. If you and I go and see a movie titled Yogurt. And the movie is about playing cards. It A, better have one heck of a twist to get us there. Or B, it's a false flag or, or misleading mm-hmm. entry into this. And I have to say, I think that the trailer is the start of that problem. Mm-hmm. Mostly the trailer presents the film as an action movie. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's some discussion and some de- debate about the action action in split Mm -hmm. but for all of the quote-unquote action that split has it's mostly behind the scenes what you don't see dialogue Mm -hmm. there's little to no physical engagement Mm -hmm. and so if the title of the film is glass Mm -hmm. and the movie is presented as an action rock'em sock'em romp if glass and dunn face off jesse the title of this film is going to be Dust. Mm-hmm. They actually physically cannot. Yeah. Okay, so everybody's like, well, that's what the horde is for. Mm-hmm. I'll go back to what I just said. The title of the film is Yogurt. Mm-hmm. It's Glass. Yeah. It's his movie. Mm-hmm. And what we get in this movie are five main characters. Now, the sidekicks aside that we've already mentioned. Mm-hmm. You get Dr. Ellie Staple, mm-hmm. Mr. Glass, David Dunn, the horde. And uh, who am I missing? Uh, Cassie. Yeah. Well, I guess she's a sidekick. So four. Mm-hmm. Ellie Staple, mm-hmm. The Horde, David Dunn, Mr. Glass. Mm-hmm. If the title of the film is Glass, he probably, in the hierarchy of amount of time on screen, is the third participant in there. Yeah. That's- Staple one, mm-hmm. Horde two, mm-hmm. Glass three, mm-hmm. Done for, mm-hmm. and Dunn's time is probably comparable. I don't have the meter in front of me to show me minutes yeah. by minute. Mm-hmm. It's probably comparable mm-hmm. to Cassie, mm-hmm. which I have a whole thing on her too, which yeah. is how she's sort of changed in a very odd way. Yeah. But real, real quick, yeah, before, yeah, you, yeah, before you move on yeah. to that, it's, it's a big point. The film is called Glass, and I would argue that each one of these movies focuses on a different member. Unbreakable is David Dunn's film. Absolutely. That's his vehicle. It's his origin story of him discovering the powers and accepting them and going forth and doing something with them. Right. Split is the introduction of Kevin Wendell Crumb and these personalities and how he's struggling with all of them to to, to come into the light. And then we're introduced to this unreasonable whore known as the Beast. That's his story. Now, this one's called Glass. Naturally, you think this is Jackson's story. This is Elijah Price masterminding some scheme to fight David and using the vehicle in Split as his means to do so. The biggest problem is, you know, Elijah doesn't show up for maybe the first, I don't know, maybe 35, 40 minutes of the movie. He doesn't speak until at least an hour and 15 minutes in the movie. He's like in a catatonic 
fake fake catatonic drug-induced state which you're right the movie's called glass it features very little of that and i would argue i think the the, the samuel jackson the glass bits you know david dunn's there too the, it's just as weak as what they offer done it's just as weak for me, the whole trilogy of Glass Split Unbreakable East Rail 177 hinges on this idea. We talked about it at the end of the last podcast. Mm-hmm. It's characters that are trying to rationalize or understand their existence, why they are who they are as put upon this earth. Why am I so breakable? Which of these characters that's 24 people or 24 layers inside of me that seeks light is the most capable of coping? And how am I dealing or rationalizing that? What does it mean to actually have a superpower and deal with that in a a, a real state? Okay, so it's trying to rationalize existences and circumstances, which in fact, I think the characters are only left with this. Maybe it's just fate. You're just unlucky Mm -hmm. to be born with super brittle bones. You're just really lucky to be born with unbreakable precognitive touching, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so to me, that's that's what this film is about. We figured it out with the Horde in Split. Mm -hmm. We figured it out through Mr. Glass about David Dunn. Mm -hmm. In Unbreakable. Yeah. This has to be his coming to terms with that. And here's the thing. I think for him, they've already done it, Jesse. Mm-hmm. At the end of Unbreakable, they already did it. So Shamilan is telling a story. That's already been told. That's already been told. <laughs> yeah. And again, <clears throat> I'm going to give you two examples. In Godzilla, the first one. Okay. What's the title of the film? Which first one? 54? Okay, the, the one that the, came out... With Cranston. Cranston. Okay, yeah, 2014. Yes. title of the okay. film is... Godzilla. I don't want to say you're going to do a character study about a monster that's, uh, you know, reptile. Because yeah. there's very little character <laughs> hey, development I'd there. I'd probably watch that. <laughs> right? right? But most of that movie... Yeah. How about most? A lot of that movie... Mm-hmm. Is that animal swimming? Yeah. The movie's not called military mm-hmm. as monster swims. Mm-hmm. Second case. Mm-hmm. The second Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Quite a sequence mm-hmm. to create. Electro. And where is he most of the film? In either Ravencroft or Ravenholm, whatever it's that that one's also called Raven something, that institution. Um Yeah, he's like in some uh like uh sideshow dunk tank for like uh, 45 to 50 minutes of the middle of that movie and like you create your villain and then move him out of the story here is the problem with glass for me in total well <laughs> mr glass yeah. is in a comatic state mm-hmm. sequestered in a cell or a room in this mental institution mm-hmm. doing nothing except acting comatic yep. there is no character development in comatic sitting there mm-hmm. now to the shock of no one, I don't think. Mm-hmm. He's faking it. Yeah. And the fact that he's hiding his medicine, spoiler alert, here we go, mm-hmm. hiding his medicine and popping aspirin or whatever that is, mm-hmm. is so, I don't want to say on the nose, but, and I hate predictable, but yeah, predictable. Mm-hmm. The yeah. title of the film's Glass. Yeah. Not Comatic, not Hide Your Medicine, <laughs> not The Horde. Yeah. 
And that is really, really a mistake. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. We've talked about on many occasions the dangers of having your antagonist, which, you know, your antagonist has to be on equal playing field with your hero to even have it be remotely interesting. Anything else can hamper that in, be, in, 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 the, in the crossfire. But if you spend your second act of the movie, which is maybe the most important act of a film, with your villain locked up, man, like, yeah, Iron Man 2, you mentioned Amazing Spider-Man. And I've seen that done in films before, but where it's part of the story, where if they're locked up, their breaking out sets forth the events of Act 3. Silence of the Lambs, right? Skyfall, right? Films like that, like it, like here, not only is Glass locked up, but David Dunn's locked up, Kevin Wendell Crumb's locked up. So now all your main entities, your 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 unholy tri tri uh, trio, are all locked up in this thing, chained to chairs, chained to beds, comatose. <sighs> And that that's I know, like a runtime. This what was the runtime? It's like two hours and fifteen. Two oh nine. Okay, that's a long movie. They spend about an hour and fifteen of that locked up. And in that period, when they're locked up, the driver of action or conflict in the movie is Doctor Staple, mm -hmm. and I actually think she's really good. Okay, Sarah Paulson for me in that movie was really good, mm -hmm. and I'm not a huge fan of her. Mm -hmm. But I thought she was really, really on point. And I would actually argue, because there's quite a review, and we'll get to her, and I'm sure, in a minute. Mm -hmm. I actually think that she cares for all three of those patients. I really do believe that, and I'll defend that in a few minutes. But I'll also tell you briefly, it has everything to do with the final showdown mm -hmm. and her leaning against the van, unable to watch what's going on, because she couldn't save them from themselves and the belief that there is a superhuman element to them. Mm -hmm. And so she has to activate the machine. We'll get into what that means in a minute. Mm -hmm. But she's essentially failed. Even though she knows they're right, mm -hmm. and they in fact are superheroes, she's failed to bring them to a more grounded state. And in a sense, <clears throat> then they, by the organization that she's working for mm -hmm. are completely and necessarily disposable. Mm -hmm. The title of the film isn't Dr. Staple. Mm -hmm. It's glass. Mm -hmm. And I would argue, so we're going to disagree starting at, at this point, I think. Okay. The, the Ellie Staples stuff for me is what totally hampers this film. Uh, on, and, so, and some other things. Her philosophy of trying to disprove these superhuman, supernatural beliefs... Almost borderlines. I what is the line? She's like, I study. I I I believe it. I specialize or, in a disorder known as DID, or, or people that think that they are superheroes. Like it, her shtick and and what she's trying to do almost starts to borderline on the absurd, and it's just it, and, and it starts to take these characters in completely wacky directions. Maybe and maybe she does care about them. Maybe she does, but I just don't think like. You know, having them locked up in this place by her, by this, and, and then I, we're gonna get into her because, like, she's she's the she, she's the movie. She's part of a of a bigger plan, which this is this is the whole problem. If you want to have a character like that, this psychiatrist, I think it needed to be used in a different way, and I'm gonna explain that in a little bit. But any of her f and, and going to room by room and saying uh, you this Elijah and 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 this Kevin and and th we got these high pressured hoses, David. Um. 
we find out why she's doing it. But to me, the movie starts, you know, going off in a few different directions because of her philosophy. And I, and, and, I, and I don't think we needed to have this kind of cuckoo's nest, cuckoo's nest third, third call in this East Rail 177 bit. It, it, it tries to fall in love too much. Okay, so we, we, we've really hammered in the last two weeks how great Shyamalan is when he's subtly throwing in themes, whether that be color or the use of the basement or the use of character's backstory, flashback. And here it's it's he's doing the same thing, but it's it's so in love with itself and trying to like be similar to these other two movies that I think it just fails. It just fails on that front. She really is the essential piece in this film because she's driving an hour and 15. And I bet you if we looked at it, it's longer than that of story. We have backstory on Glass, we have backstory on Dunn, we have backstory on Kevin Wendell Crumb. We know nothing about her. And it's revealed, I don't know, what, the last six minutes of the movie, we finally figure out what her what her whole purpose was. And by that time, Dunn's ready? Dead. <laughs> Dunn, okay. Dunn is dead. Okay, let's let's just explain the whole last the last act of well, the hold movie. Let me finish. Okay, Dunn's dead. Glass is just about dead. And I'm pr- I'm not sure, but I think Kevin Will Crumb's already been yeah he's been shot or, too. or right about to be shot yeah he's dead too okay get into it because th- I th- I know we're gonna agree on this okay so so we reach the fever pitch of this this ending which sees Elijah Price breaking out the horde Kevin Wendell Crumb out of here and they're just gonna make chaos on way to this building that they're gonna blow up. And maybe that's their plan. Maybe it's not. And it's it, Bruce Willis. It's got to be Nakatomi Plaza, right? <laughs> exactly. Aren't they going to go blow up Nakatomi Plaza? I don't know. That would have been refreshing compared to <laughs> what, what, what does go down. Right. Okay. So, you know, they do battle in the parking lot here. You know, uh, the Beast, uh, you know, dispatches a few a few of these uh, uh, throwaway uh, uh, security guards. And then David shows up. And, and, and I would argue in, in a pretty triumphant kind of way. Like, this was the moment. You know, like, you wanted to see David Dunn finally show up to face his equal and he does and he's got an audience and he's got uh you know joseph and casey and mrs mrs glass are there and, and dr staple and everyone's watching and like all they're all freaking out and they get to do battle and and, and that part's fun and enjoyable this is what we needed to have in the movie not the whole movie but this we need this piece this piece works but then oh my god and then then Elisha opens his mouth and like starts talking about his plan and this and that. And um, Joseph uses um, Joseph and Casey on the side have been doing their own superhero research. Now, he, okay, so here's here's the other problem: Glass and no, no, Unbreakable was very good about not alluding to it was a superhero movie. Very subtly thrown in with these hints. Here, it's so blatantly obvious. Uh, down to you know you know the comics and everything that's being told and, and here it's 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 I think really really obvious, but Joseph comes to him and says, "You you have an upper hand. This is who Kevin Wendell's crumb dad is. His dad was on East Row one seventy seven. That's revealed in Split. Yeah, it, the, the 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 train number isn't revealed. It's just saying his dad went on a train and he went and gave flowers to the train, um, and he never came back. Assuming he died." And, and until we get the end, we don't 
we can't connect the two until we find out it's in the same universe. But here we're told it for the first time. Okay. And this sets off Kevin Wendell Crumb and he punches Elijah Price in the stomach and breaks he he shatters his shatters his collarbone. Right. I, I'll tell you what, when he when he fell out of that chair and he's just like he just crumpled and just all broke. Shattered. Oh, that that was that was difficult. But this this leads into you know this final furious confrontation between David Dunn and Kevin Wendell Crumb in this dunk tank. Back to the dunk tank. Like, what's up with that? Um, this dunk tank where you know they're all drowned out, and you know David gets out of it, and you know it looks like they're gonna go for round three at this point. But uh, uh-uh, here comes here comes the Serpent Society, Hellfire Club, whatever you want to call them. Sarah Paulson's. On the on the side, working for some stendril <laughs> secret yeah. society yeah. that we know nothing about, who sole purpose now is to rid cities, the world of any being possessing super knowledge, super strength, super abilities, etc., 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 etc. And they all kind of go by this tattoo, which was it was almost like three blotches. It's clover, isn't it? Was it a clover? I think so. Okay. And what they find this out, we're all being told of this all at the same time while they're fighting. So a sniper takes out Kevin Wendell Crumb in the stomach as like Casey's trying to like reason with him and like talk him down. Again, Beauty and the Beast trying yeah. to bring bring, oh, yeah. bring down that temper. And then in the most egregious crime of the whole film, Matt already mentioned it, but these guys, they just grab David Dunn and they just drown him in a pothole on the ground like for like a minute and then he's dead. And we never, we're done with it. We're done with the David Dunn character at that point. And there's no like, Joseph's broken up about it, but like there's no kind of like tie up with that. And, and, like, at this point, the film's kind of coming off the seams. Like, the end is just, like, going in three different directions. And I would argue three poor directions. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let me, D- digest that one for a little bit. So, let me go back to the title of the film for a minute, which is Glass. And let me talk about the comic book element in this. I think part of this is the inconsistency of whose movie this is. Most of the time in Elijah's life, when things go south or it gets rocky for him, his mom fixes it for him through comic books. See that in Unbreakable. Something's happened. He doesn't want to go out. And she puts a package in the park across the street Mm -hmm. in purple wrapping paper. Mm -hmm. And she says, you better go get it before someone else does. And I think we create a background of a way that mom communicates or alleviates the pain that her son is dealing with through comic books. And I don't think for any minute in this movie, it hides the fact that it's paying homage to comics because from glasses point of view, most of his life has been spent in a wheelchair reading probably as a child, what his mother gave him comic books. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense to me. That the movie is based on comic books. And there's been a lot of criticism levied on this film about that. I don't have a problem with that. You saw... uh, Of course it is. Mm -hmm. It has to be. It's one of the few things that we know about him for certain. Mm -hmm. Is that he's built his belief... Ready? Here, go back. Mm -hmm. 
on why he's here Mm -hmm. because comic books seem to say that every arch enemy has a a protagonist worth Mm -hmm. fighting. And Sarah Paulson, Mm -hmm. Dr. Ellie Staple, Mm -hmm. tells David Dunn that. Problem though is she tells David Dunn that. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Is it David Dunn? When she says... Mm -hmm. The, the reason we have to get rid of people like you is there's always an opposite to oppose. Mm-hmm. And it's not fair. I actually don't think that's a terrible motivation for the villain who is revealed in a very twist ending that we come to recognize often in MNS films. So I'm okay with that. Yeah. I just think it's the problem, though, is David Dunn has been a lot of things at different moments in this series, Mm -hmm. and no way. And even granted, okay, so let me ask you this. It's a rhetorical question, so maybe there's no answer. I'm not really sure why there is a water tower out in front of a mental institution, anyway, Mm -hmm. other than this is bad writing. Yeah. (laughs) To get. Pummeled into that water tower mm-hmm. upon the directions from Mr. Glass given to the ho- to the beast. Mm-hmm. Knock him into the water. It's his weakness. Mm-hmm. They crash into this water tower. Obviously, the beast is in an advantageous position. David Dunn punches the side enough to get out. Sort of spills out onto the lawn. Mm-hmm. And then is met by... And this is the part that's the worst for me. An unmasked... I'm sorry. A masked... Bad guy. We, mm. Just a soldier. Yeah. Who chokes him out in a puddle. A of, pothole. A puddle. A pothole puddle. Yeah. Only at the last second to have Dr. Staple come up. David, take my hand. And we get that precognitive whoosh. Oh, I'm sure glad they did that. We would never have known that unless he'd done that. Well, <laughs> so that she can stick it to him at the last second as we kill... The guy that this series is based on in the most unheroic, Mm -hmm. weak, lame way that you can possibly imagine. Again, I'm going to go back real quick. Oh my gosh, Jesse. This is... Drowned out in six inches of water. I'm going to go back. Gosh. David Dunn already had his film in Unbreakable. This film is called Glass. This is supposed to be Sam Jackson, Elijah Price's film. Bar that, this is such a disservice to the character... And such a, what's the word I'm looking for? It's such a poor way to go out. It's treated with such disrespect. I almost wonder if Bruce Willis had like another movie he had to go do and like this is all he had time for and he had to get onto it. Well, maybe Sam Jackson is the biggest star at this point, but I would actually argue it's McAvoy's vehicle. Exactly. But so, it's not It's not called The Beast yeah, or The Horde. It's not supposed to be. And th- this is the big problem. It's like the, 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 tori- the story is told all backwards. And okay, so we get we get some nice peppering moments of people from the series. Like, I would argue, like some, some of my favorite moments were seeing Dad David and Son Joseph, who they had such a strained relationship in Unbreakable, kind of like really getting along in this film. Like they're kind of like he's almost like a pseudo oracle from the Batman universe. Okay, his yeah. his eyes and ears in Philadelphia. You're like, hey, Dad, go check here. Um, that's an abandoned place. Uh, they could be located there. Um, really trying to be a part of this because genetically he's not the same as his dad. Otherwise, he'd probably be out there like a Batman and Robin. But you know, you know, we get that, and that's nice. But the biggest crime that and everything that and and this was such a throwaway in two moments. 
uh, was the absence of Robin Wright at this point, which she's probably doing House of Cards, whatever. Uh, They do it in a kind of like a pseudo flashback in his kitchen about David, I need to tell you something. And then they don't show it. They don't show it again. And they don't talk about that ever again. And then when Joseph's trying to say, hey, you need to let my dad out. He's not crazy. He was, he was just, it's some other guy. He was thinking he was trying to pretend to be him. And then uh, Dr. Staple asks him about his mother. Like, this must be really hard for you, you know, being what happened to your mother. And what was it, cancer? Was it some type of, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, leukemia or something? Very, very quick, quick cancer. Very, very quick. But that, okay, so we get that. But then we don't, like, go back to that anymore. Like, what this film desperately needed, and we, we've talked about in the first episode and second, ep- or um, maybe not in the second episode, the first one. We talked about the Rocky franchise. Rocky addressed the absence of characters by actually dealing with that and how it had impacted him up to this point. This scene needed a scene of them going to the... Maybe they needed to go to the grave. They need they needed to have something because then we could have seen how they dealt with that. And now we have this scene. We have Joseph minus both his parents in a world where he probably doesn't fit in very much. And I'm not even talking about Grandma Glass and Casey at this point, but... How's he going to do going forward? Like, we don't have that moment. And that's like a missing puzzle piece to the relationship that's thrown away in two very poor scenes, I would argue. So for all of the things that we've said that seem troubling at this point, I want to give you a couple that I thought were redeeming. Sure. And they both come at the end of essentially the trio's um, point in the film. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so as Mr. Glass is basically dying out on the asphalt in his mother's arms, he tells her, which very comic book-esque, says, Mom, I need to let you know that this was never a limited edition. This was an origin story. And at that moment, we get a quick look. Eh, maybe not so quick. We get a look at all of the strings that Mr. Glass had pulled for the reverse after the reverse, the twist after the twist. And we come to find out that the whole movie he's been in complete control and this is following a plan or almost a suicide mission, which mm-hmm. I think is actually really pretty well handled by Paulson mm-hmm. in acting-wise later in the film, a little bit later in the film. He's been in control the whole time. Mm-hmm. The cameras that they've set up <clears throat> have been essentially used to record the entire sequence of events mm-hmm. so that it won't be forgotten. And he has created a kill code upon his death, which is going to be released in mass to everybody and we're going to get the truth about what superheroes are so that those that might will stop repressing what makes them superheroes and embrace what makes them super two ways to go with this well more than two ways but two ways that come to mind initially number one is this setting up a future run with a limitless amount of possibilities for other superheroes okay possibly or is it a larger message that's maybe a metaphor for the goodness in mankind. Because mm-hmm. as we talked about prior to this, I do think, and I don't have confirmation on this, mm-hmm. but I do think Shemilan is a fairly spiritual fellow. Mm-hmm. And I think this sort of speaks to the idea that we all have gifts that are instilled in us. Most of us just don't ever take them and use them. Okay, so that sounds really nice. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it matters in this film, and that's not what I went to that film for. Mm-hmm. Go a little bit more, and we get Joseph talking about how heroes are created in comics. And this is not news to anybody that's familiar with comics, but it has to do with the tragic end to their parents. 
which then sets him up Mm -hmm. clearly as the next hero, Mm -hmm. as his dad, who he has idolized since 2000, Mm -hmm. is choked out in a meaningless puddle of water by an unnamed foe. Mm -hmm. We have it. But again, to the Teen Titans, I don't care about the sidekick, Jesse, do you want <laughs> no, Mrs. Glass, no, Cassie, and Joseph? No, and you don't want that movie either. I, no, of course I you don't. You would not go see that. You'd so, watch the trailer and roll your eyes at me as soon as it happened. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I was really upset with the way David Dunn was disposed. However, I think the line from Sam Jackson, Mr. Glass, dying mm-hmm. on the asphalt in his mother's mm-hmm. arms, this was an origin story, does create an interesting moment that could be used well, but... That is not enough no. to put up for two hours and nine minutes. It's Mm-mm. not that. That's just not enough. No, it's 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 kind of it's 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 lame in the execution. Is that, it lame? Or I, is it... I think it's lame. You know, you have the disposing of all these characters, and then you have the release of all this footage, like a viral video of everyone in this train station in Philadelphia. Oh, I won't disagree with you in that. Okay, so here it is: the end of the movie. Mister Glass's plan comes out. And Mom, Mama Glass, and Cassie, and Joseph get the footage from what happened at the showdown that Dr. Ellie Staple has made the the, uh, the workers at the institution essentially promise not to speak about. Okay, so it's out. It's going to be given to the masses. And of all places, they watch this footage go viral. Oh my gosh, Jesse. In the train station. In the train station. Oh... No, and it's it's like you know the themes you just mentioned, like that might be like the his ultimate goal, you know, to get this message across. I just think it's handled again. We talked about when Shyamalan is on, man, is he on, and he's great. When he's off, and I would argue in this film, he's he's off. It comes across so ham-fisted and so kind of, you know, trying too hard that it comes across almost ridiculous. And and this this happened a bit in in um in the village and it happened like very very much so in the happening um where like these themes that you're trying to get across whether they have good intentions or they're layered like the delivery and the execution is just shot so let's talk about the mns twist that is his greatest blessing and his greatest curse Mm -hmm. okay so when david dunn is being drowned out in that little puddle of water by unnamed (laughs) foe he takes Dr. Staple's hand, and upon contact, what's revealed is her ulterior motive or her sins. Yeah. And we get a shot in a restaurant, drab tones, save her color, very, very traditional in the David Dunn superpower pantheon. Mm-hmm. Having dinner, uh, which I'm like, wow, there doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of conflict here. And mm-hmm. then inexplicably, someone in the dinner party stands up, I think pulls a curtain. Mm-hmm. And then begins addressing this clandestine organization. And we find out she's involved as the person who will try to convince superheroes that they're not superheroes or she has to activate the machine. I'm actually actually not even opposed to that. I'm not opposed to that. I think there's possibilities. The problem is, why does she reveal herself at the end to him that way? Mm-hmm. It's almost just like a great big F you uh, to David Dunn. And I don't think she bears him any ill will. Yeah. Okay, so then we continue forward. 
And the twist upon the twist, and this is where MNS is trying to be a better version of MNS, and the secret in this one mm-hmm. is I'm going to twist you, and then I'm going to twist your twist. And that's just too much. Yeah. Is we get the reveal of Mr. Glass having videotaped all of this footage yeah. and it going out to the masses of society globally through social media to which her response is what have you done elijah and she walks down this hall and we see it on video mm-hmm. what her reaction yeah. which is just screaming mm-hmm. like ah i can't believe i've been had man <sighs> okay the movie at this point it's it's okay it's reaching boundaries where okay so the brilliance of unbreakable and split I'm going to argue, and you're probably going to agree with me, Yeah, is how contained and how simplified Simple. and how, Simple. Co- Simple. Right. how cohesive it is. Mm-hmm. It's, they're small, intimate setting movies, both of them. Mm-hmm. This movie is trying to do something outside of the, the boundaries that these prior two films set for themselves. No question. And it's, it's trying to be too big with this... Serp- I'm calling them Serpent Society. I don't even care. With this Serpent Society and this viral footage. And it's trying to do something and trying to put it out there. And this series, this Eastro 177, has never been that. So this sticks out like a sore thumb to me. Like, major. Yes, you're right. Because simple, yes. He's better in simple, tight quiet small budget movies Mm -hmm. again i'm gonna go back to what i said earlier and this is i think the problem we both agree on and i do agree with what you just said Mm -hmm. mr glass david dunn the horde dr ellie staple Mm -hmm. she gets the closing sequence in this film having dominated the majority of screen time the title of the film is glass we're much more comfortable with david dunn as the protagonist he should take the lead role a fantastic performance by McAvoy, which is one of the saving graces in this movie, is how brilliant is, James McAvoy is. But yet, Dr. Staple comes along, and I think she does a good job playing the part of Dr. Staple. Yeah, that's It's yeah. just not her film. Yeah. And that's where we close. Mm-hmm. And then with the Teen Titans. <laughs> hey, Jesse, the sidekicks and Dr. Staple, and we have so much time. Mm-hmm. 20 years, essentially, invested in Glass... The Horde and David Dunn yeah. and Doctor Staple and the Teen Titans. Yeah, I'm gonna pitch two. Th- I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pitch two things to you. Okay. Part of me like wonders, like, hey, maybe if like that ending of Split, which just so happened to be a tease at Unbreakable, or we watched Unbreakable two without knowing, maybe that might have been enough. As much as I want to see the third story, part of me knows, like, man, that could go over, like. Like shit on a shingle, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like maybe I would just be okay if that's just like a nice tease, like oh yeah, like yeah, it's 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 in there, and then I just have these two good movies versus this one trying to muddle up all the philosophy and the storylines. Okay, whatever. Maybe I would have been a happier person if this didn't exist. It, it, to go with you, you know, McAvoy's amazing. He might be better than this than he was in Split. Sure. Like it's it's great. He's so good. Uh, Sarah Paul is a great performance again. Again, not her movie. She's great. You know, Willis, you know, Willis has kind of been like in that track throughout uh, the last few years of like kind of not giving a shit in the movies he's been in. He's pretty good in this too. And the stuff with him and Joseph, that that's great. I'm going to pitch an alternate movie for you. Go. Of All right. What I thought, like, just how this could be better. Okay. Okay, so we got to go back to Split first. All right. Instead of seeing David Dunn in that diner, mm-hmm. what if we saw that same news footage in this insane asylum? 
and you know we see the workers watching it all this like oh kidnapped they're calling him the horde and we kind of like pull back and you know they watch tv in like those asylums they let them watch tv time they park them in front of it and make probably make them watch it all day in fact and we kind of pull back and then we reveal sam jackson as he's like as as mr glass and then maybe says something eloquent there but also doing the same thing that end scene did as well setting that up that this takes place in the unbreakable universe but then therefore setting up that this is mr glass's story cut to this film where instead of this kind of first act which is the david dunn versus the horde story this first act is jackson's act him concocting a breakout of this asylum um through the same maybe smart ways that we saw in this movie you know rigging this machine rigging the pills rigging this and he finds a way to get out which then ford sends him into act two of i'm gonna find that horde i'm gonna find that guy and in the meantime we're 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 getting to meet david dunn and joseph and what they've been doing since then maybe we get to have that rocky moment where he visits the grave maybe he does that and then we get to see glass instead of all three characters locked up we get to see Glass doing what we thought he was going to do when he says, and sometimes sometimes they're friends like you and me. We know how the arch-villain is. We get to see him actually create maybe a bit of, you know, kind of controlled chaos, and he recruits the Horde. Okay, and then that leads to the Act 3, which this act can only take place in one setting, and it's the train station. Yeah. The birth of David Dunn. Yeah. The death Obviously. Of, the death of Kent, Kevin Wendell Crumb's father. Where these two characters were born. Why don't and you can have that same finale we had in Glass. Yep. Have it in that terminal of that train station. And I'll tell you what. You do that there. Guess what's going to happen. Everyone's going to pull out their phones. Everyone's going to videotape it. This and that. And maybe that was Glass's whole plan all along. Which is what's in this movie. We get the same thing, but we're not locked up the whole time. We actually make it a little bit more about class, and we can actually save the Paulson character instead of you know being this like philosophizer and this crazy psychiatrist. She could almost take on a Doctor Loomis part, where like, okay, this guy's out. I gotta go get him before like he gets these people and like this and that. Like we can still have that element of like trying to reel in the super villain, the superhuman thinking person. So, Rice Smile entertainment partners green lights that idea and let me add one more part to it to you i love it Mm -hmm. you have to have the final culminating event in the train station Mm -hmm. that is going back to the rim rocked element from the second podcast Mm -hmm. this is so obvious that it needs to be done that way it cannot just be done outside the mental institution in the courtyard yeah okay Right. I don't I think that is fine. Let me add one more part sure, to go you. Ahead, go ahead. The part that troubled me early on in the film, mm-hmm. as David Dunn and his son are trying to locate where the horde is after abducting these four cheerleaders, they've kind of narrowed it down to a geographic area. And the way he's going about trying to figure this out is simply putting on his poncho and walking through a crowd of, I think, construction workers or factory workers and touching them and seeing if anything is revealed. Boy, I'm sure glad he ran into McAvoy at that right moment. (laughs) And again, right, just convenient. Yes, yeah. Here comes this crowd of men. I pass through them. Nope, 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 nope. None of these guys. And then nine-year-old Hedwig Mm -hmm. in Kevin Wendell Crumb's grown-up body passes by. He touches him. We get that moment. Super convenient, yep. Jesse. Yeah, oh yeah. Why isn't Mr. Glass mm-hmm. 
the one pulling the strings in any of those sequences in the first act that you told me, who sends the footage yeah. or an email yeah. or something to David Dunn to let him know this is the guy I need to go after because then his plan mm-hmm. is rolling. And let me give you one more thing. Yeah. Okay, on, on um, MNS's uh, Mount Rushmore, it's Kurosawa, Ray, Hitchcock, Hitchcock and Kubrick. Isn't the most Hitchcockian thing to do to let the audience know that he is ahead of the curve or the puppet master the entire time? And then as we watch him play Mr. Coma, uh, catatonic guy in Raven, whatever the hell the name of that place is, Mm -hmm. we know better. Mm -hmm. Like we watch him like late at night with the guard's keys or whatever you want it, however he does it, Mm -hmm. send an email with some footage this is your guy. Mm-hmm. Okay? Don't shatter my dreams. Yep. XO, Mr. Glass. Or whatever the email is. Yeah. And then he goes and he... Like, <clears throat> right... Then yeah. right away we put Mr. Glass in a superior position, a powerful position, and we've changed the entire structure of what this film is. As it, Jesse, mm-hmm. it becomes his story. That's what it needs to be. It, That's what it needs to be. Uh, so... If I had the power to green light that. Yeah, let's make that movie. Let's make that movie. Yeah. Because this movie, this is what the movie should have been. This should have been the Riddler and Bane um, fighting Batman. One's going to fight him with his mind. One's going to fight him with his body. And they're fighting in, like this guy with, with, with enhanced abilities. Whatever. Like, and, like we, kinda, we, don't, we don't have enough time to get all of that because they, cause Ellie Staples trying to philosophize them and like reverse psychologize like why they're doing it. We spend half the movie doing that and like there's just not enough time to evoke those themes can i say one more thing about that go too? ahead what's well, fresh ahead. my mind go ahead go ahead to that to to sort of continue this idea we've already established in this movie that superheroes exist mm-hmm. we've already established that yeah. why is the antagonist undoing what's been two films of doing mm-hmm. he's He's telling a story thread or conflict arc that we've already solved. The entire point of Unbreakable Mm -hmm. is Bruce Willis as David Dunn coming to terms with the fact Mm -hmm. that he's a superhero. And what the hell that has brought into his life. Jesse, imagine this. Mm -hmm. You touch somebody upon first meeting them. And every single sin that they've ever committed is revealed to you. That's not a blessing. Mm-hmm. That's a curse. Yeah. Okay, and again, not to be too perverse. Mm-hmm. That's not the point here. How does he have any moment of intimacy with his wife? I don't want to say he's going to shatter her, mm-hmm. but I'm posing that, and not only with the possibilities of really hurting her in this intimate act, yeah. every contact reveals Every terrible thing she's yeah. done up to that point. Yeah. David Dunn has... The whole point of that movie mm-hmm. is him coming to terms with, I am a superhero. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Paulson, I think aptly said in this film, says, I <clears throat> almost had you guys convinced, or maybe I did have you guys convinced, mm-hmm. that you were just normal people with a large or enlarged frontal lobe through this MRI that made you think you were superheroes. Mm-hmm. You've undone four hours of brilliant storytelling mm-hmm. to then only reaffirm the truth and the most non-twist twist mm-hmm. 
that you could come up with only to then undo that twist to again prove that Jackson was in fact his superpower, his brain ahead of the curve the whole time. Yeah. Damn. Mm -hmm. Come on. Let me add add a little bit of this too. Because Shyamalan always needs the twist. Instead of getting this Teen Titans bit, which... Bleh. <laughs> Bleh, right. In this reversed scenario, can I tell you one question? One more thing about the Teen Titans. This is how bad the Teen Titans. Are. Okay, go ahead. Okay, they have that Teen Titans show yeah. on whatever Disney or Nick or whatever. It was a six-year-old daughter. Yeah, she looks at me the other day and goes, "What the hell does Cyborg do, Dad?" And I said, "Ava, you can't use that kind of language." <laughs> But if a six-year-old has decoded that, mm-hmm. they suck. All right, go. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So you can still, in this scenario, you can still kill off Dunn, where he like at least tells Joseph something poignant, like he's yes. like he's like he's like he's like he's like I know I wasn't always there for you, but like he's like you're the man of the house or something. Son, you have it in you. Go find it. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. I, I like that. And then you can have Kevin Wendell Crump revert back to who he was before the abuse, yeah. talking him down yeah. in a more poignant way. You can still have glass die off. Like you can still have these moments. And then if you want a twist, okay, here's your twist. Like, okay. So instead of having like this, this, um, this teen Titans bit, have Joseph like walking down the street at the end of the movie. And someone's little kids playing ball and is going to get hit by a car. And he runs to save them, pushes to stop the car. And he stops it with his, and maybe because you know you know they talk they talk about you know in the bill bixby incredible hulk show he's trying to like hone in on like the untapped strength that people have like the woman that is able to lift the car off off, off her son like yeah is this dad mom dead dad dying is this not a traumatic event enough for him to find some type of comeuppance in him to seize that moment and maybe that's the twist ending there to Leave that as the cherry on top, and we get all the closing of all three story arcs, and it's contained and not locked up in some prison. And those are the faults that I have with this movie. It's that it's too locked up. The story arcs of all these characters, in my way, are not completed in a a satisfying way, and we're left with a very over-the-top, extravagant twist ending that, quite frankly, at that point, like... It doesn't matter at that point anymore. We're not going to get any more of these movies, but it's just it's it's reached a ballooning effect where it's it's a distant cousin to the brothers that are unbreakable and split. Jesse, the movie made 40 almost 41 million dollars this 3-day weekend, and that's not even to bring in the totals from what happened on MLK. I imagine people went to the theater that day too. So, make it for 20, it brings home 41. There's discussions right now going on at Universal about what's next. And you know what? I, I know you're shaking your head. And <laughs> I hope not. My, my soul is shaking its head too. <laughs> but it's gonna. It, if it happens, you know who's going to have those tickets on opening night? Yeah, us. I know. So let's just. But then be we'll, in that space. Yeah. We have we'll have front row tickets for the the the, the, the train derailment, which is like the total metaphor, you know, for the series. It's it's the, the catalyst that started the event was this train accident, and then like at this point, it's totally just gone off the, off the rails. I think the frustration that you and I have expressed in this mm-hmm. podcast also speak to the the genius of him that I'm afraid nine films in. Yeah will never really be fully realized. I think maybe there's a potential. 
potential. That's the, that word for yeah. him is so troubling and such a trap. But maybe he needs to like tackle someone else's material or just have someone write the script for him and then him as a filmmaker do it how he how he does it. Look, he's going to get another crack. This movie, I think the projections that Universal had were somewhere in the neighborhood of 80. Mm-hmm. 80 on 20 is a pretty nice score for mm-hmm. but this movie this is going to shock you too. It's the fifth highest grossing January release in the history of film at 40. Yeah, so I guess January's in the dead zone yeah. and we can do a whole show on great dead zone movies. Maybe that's a cask <laughs> in the future. There you go. We'll exclude all Liam Neeson vehicles and see what we can come up with. Mm-hmm. So fifth highest ever. Yeah. This is the dead zone. We are in Oscar season and all we are doing is promoting Oscar films mm-hmm. and re-releasing stuff like Pluto Nash that's been on the shelf for four years. Ugh. I know. <laughs> so he, he did find like to Universal's credit from the business end. Yeah. A smart time to release this film. Oh, sure. No competition other than the uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg film, which I guess just got murdered this weekend. Yeah. Um, real quick, just a, just a few anecdotes, just some things like I discovered while kind of researching the film. Uh, it, again, talking about the miracle to even get to this point. Yeah. And to like, you know, at least we got it. It wasn't exactly, you know, went the direction we wanted, but at least it happened. Mm -hmm. To make that happen, okay, this is rare in film history. Like, to have two separate studios, and we're not talking like like, like, like Lionsgate and like Fox Searchlight. We're talking Disney and Universal having to come together to allow this film to be made. It's the reason it took so long to get Freddy versus Jason. It's the reason it, it will never get like you know, these like team up movies, like because studios own different rights. Like that is a blessing in itself that they said, we'll let it happen. Like, boom, we might never see that ever again. Right. Um, let's talk about, you know, Shyamalan, I think had an interesting cameo, you know, he cameos in all his movies like Hitchcock where, you know, Hitchcock was good the way he just kind of walked by or just did that. Like, that's great. You know, Shyamalan actually speaks in these kind of like Tarantino does, but he's the same character from unbreakable, and split yeah and he kind of points out david dunn saying he's like he's like hey i remember you did you, you used to work at the stadium and like he's like yeah he's like yeah you used to hang out with a, a bad crowd at that point because he was trying to peddle drugs then um so i thought that was a nice a nice little tie-in and um you know what she just hit on though yeah. it just occurred to me yeah he is the same character from both those films the what middleman drug dealer guy at the you know sports stadium in unbreakable the video guy in split here's one more thing to consider if you take the pacing or style of unbreakable which is as you said rot family drama Mm -hmm. and you take the latent anxiety and tension masked in a horror sort of vehicle of split I'm not really sure how those two things jive together for glass. It was just, that that's a really again to simple. Mm-hmm. If simple's where he's at, I don't know how that comes across as simple. That's got to be original and complex and you know Jesse mm-hmm. his appearance in that film might be the most ugh, yeah, I think I mean this. The most dialed in as far as linear story moment in the entire trilogy. He might make the most sense of any of the characters. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. That makes the most linear A to B to C sense of all the tying in of the three parts and maybe works 
as seamless as any moment in the film. And that, I think that portends trouble, which oh. we've clearly outlined. I want to talk about one last thing and then we'll get into our ratings. Okay. Um, the genius of Shyamalan, like I just mentioned, he needs to write someone else's material. He's he's a great writer too. When he's when he's on again, I want to talk about one, two, three, four. I want to talk about some of his singular scenes, and these are some of the best scenes in the the thriller genre, all of movies, and a dialogue, and they're just involved two people. So in the Sixth Sense, there's a real great poignant moment where. Cole Sear and his mother, who he can't communicate with, are sitting in a car, uh, a Grandma's, traffic jam. Yep, I know exactly where you're going. And they use this moment to yep. finally communicate with each other. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but it's beautiful. It is. That might be his best written scene in his entire career. Okay, yeah. Um, in Unbreakable, we get that date scene with you know the dissection of when did you first know this wasn't going to work or what was your favorite song like or like, color it rust. colored like it's it's right. done so well and the yep. dialogue so just it's not on the nose it's just it comes off like the tip of the tongue mm-hmm. in signs it's that moment between mel gibson and joaquin phoenix sitting and watching the television with the kids asleep saying like he's like people see signs people see miracles like but like what do you see he's like and then Joaquin Phoenix tells him this story how he threw up on this grizzly. That was a sign. That was a miracle. I wasn't there when it happened. And he's like, he's like, then what do you believe? And he's like, and Mel Gibson says, does it really matter to you? Yeah. Are you comforted? Then what I say doesn't matter. So well done. So well done. In the village, there's a great scene on a stoop between Joaquin Phoenix and Bryce Dallas Howard about him telling her, you know, that I've, I've always, I've loved you since then, and I've been watching out for you since then. She's blind, and he's like, and he's like, the answer is yes, I will dance with you at at, at this thing, and it's it's just so good in this film. That moment, th- there's not that scene, and you know, you talk about how can you be simple with an idea that's this big and this complex, you know, you know, the good films, I think find the time to do that. And I think this scene could have really benefited from a scene like that. Joseph and David, David and Mr. Glass, Casey and, and, and Kevin, you know, we could have used any one of these. Dr. Words. Ellie Staple and Joseph, when they're having that discussion, something, is set up yeah, for something that. And to, misses. Something to just like bring it back that these are human people. We're not, this ain't DC or Marvel and sky beams coming out from the sea. This is the real world grounded yeah. tale. Yeah. And you can have time for that moment and it's just not there. So th- that's a part that allows me to kind of disconnect from this a little bit. But again, you know, it, it went in a direction we weren't expecting, but to praise the use of color is so on point in this film with the greens, the purples, the oranges. It's it's so beautiful, so well shot. You know, using the cues from the Unbreakable and Split soundtracks, like to really kind of, at least that's cohesive. <laughs> at least that's cohesive. Yeah. And the MVP of this film, the MVP of the last film, McAvoy. Yep. Like, he won't get that Oscar nomination again because of the reasons we talked about last podcast. But he's amazing. Like mm-hmm. to go from to twenty this time, he had like five or six in the last one. There's a scene where Jackson's like he's he's hitting the strobe lights and they're going on and off, and um, you get all of them and it's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's a great performance. So you know we have some of that, to, but at the same time, it's not Mark Wahlberg happening bad. There's themes in here. Maybe they don't play out the right way, but at least there's that. The Happening is just a dead movie. That movie's DOA. 
you're falling into the trap that I was careful not to fall or tried not to fall into, which is do we rate this as film unts to film? Do we rate this as entry into the unbreakable Israel 177 trilogy? Do we rate this film as where it fits in the MNS spectrum? And I don't have an answer for you. You have to make your own way through that, but I, I've been where you are right now, and I still I still find myself arguing how do you fairly rate this film? So I'm going to lay it on the line, mm-hmm. and I'm going to say how do you fairly rate this film? Okay. Fairly. So how I fairly rate this film, being that like my expectations were very high, and the impact of Unbreakable on me is... You, you can't describe it. The The surprise that Split was was so welcoming. The twist that Split had was just like the coolest twist I've seen in film in a long time. Yeah. Um, to go from that into this, which, you know, in the back of my head, I was saying, you know, be prepared. I think I tell myself anytime I'm excited for the new Halloween coming out. Be prepared in case it's not going to go the way you think it's going to go. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this kind of went that way. And. You know, uh, as a movie, you know, there are great things in there to be found. You know, it does has a story from a beginning, a middle, and an end. It has great performances, great cinematography, great music, great acting. Um, I think it just gets a little too ridiculous at points. And that's where I, I jump on ship. And when I jump on ship, I'm going just, I'm just jumping off ship onto Unbreakable Ship. And remembering what a pleasant experience that is. Jumping onto a un- uh, split ship and how... How amazing and, and subtle that film is. You know, so for this one, I'm going to give a rating of Call, which is, you know, our middle of the line. And, you know, it's 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 not a knock against the film. And it's not a perfect film. It's not a terrible film. It's, it, you know, it's kind of right there in the middle. It's an important part to see this story played through, just not in the way that at least I expected. And... Again, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this doesn't even come close to happening. Airbender, Lady in the Water levels of bad. Nowhere near close. Like, the, those are atrocious films. <laughs> um, you won't feel that with this one, but if you are a big fan of Unbreakable and Split, you probably might be a little disappointed with, you know, the final entry. I'm also going to give it the same rating of Call. If you had not seen Unbreakable or Split, you probably could see this movie and it would function as an entire story that was relatively entertaining, which is what I can say about a lot of call films. It was entertaining. I mostly didn't want to leave. I probably won't pop it on when I have a few hours to kill, but I've been through significantly worse. Oh, hell yeah. So I guess... I'm admitting to you that I'm going to rate this movie in the position of just films. Mm -hmm. If I was to rate this movie in position of the other two in the Israel 177, it's probably well, but it's not. It's just a movie. Like Mm -hmm. it's just a movie. And and that being said, I agree with all of the parts that you said that you liked. I also even though we've been a bit hard on her, I also really liked the Ellie Staple character. I found that character interesting. It just, again, I feel like I've said this 50 it's times. It's not already. her film. So, but, yeah. does Staple sell? No. <laughs> no. An impossible, impossible level of precision 
and expertise and a 20-year wait that no, yeah. Truthfully, there's there's no way unlikely, there's no, unlikely that there's it was no, going to. There, be. There's there's no way. So. I, I might even go down to like uh, maybe call minus. Yeah. Uh, maybe I, I don't know. That, no, that's that's fair. And I will give you this much: whatever M Knight does next, whether he's writing his own thing, whether he's adapting someone else's material, um, doing something out of a genre. If he did a comedy, I don't know. That would be interesting. I'm down. Like. Yeah. You know, like, he was DOA with the middle of his career that he's kind of ascended back up. Like, it wasn't a bad film, but, like, I'm, I'm glad that he's back and he'll have the opportunity to make other films that, hey, there might be something good in there. For you and I, impossible to remove all the other ancillary parts to what make up the totality of Glass mm-hmm. and unfair in so doing, mm-hmm. but also not the delivery we wanted in so doing. Career, legacy, etc., etc. The roller coaster that you and I <laughs> at, have ridden from the Night Chronicles and the third film to... Etc. Etc. Let's leave it at that. Beautiful. All right, so before we wrap up for today, we're going to cap this off with the nightcap. And, you know, kind of, you know, thinking of the those threes, the, 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 the third film entry, which what glass is my capper to you matt is what is the worst third film in a series okay for me this wasn't even that hard pirates of the caribbean at world's end (laughs) i didn't particularly love the first one the second one was egregious and by the time we get to the third one i love some of the comments from the screenwriters that basically came to the 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 admission that we actually didn't even know what we were writing we just wanted to get it done Go back. That's what they actually said with the whole part with the crabs and on the beach. Oh, my God. How did he resurrect himself? We didn't even know. We just were ready to be done. I'll tell you this real quick. Just a little anecdote. In the theater, when we were watching it, everyone was cracking up. Like, mostly like girls and we're there. But they're like laughing. Like, that is the funniest thing ever. And my buddy turned to me and was like, what are they laughing at? Like, they're just as confused as I am. Like, yeah, no doubt. So there you go. I'm not even going to continue because I won't waste another syllable on that word. It's that that is pure rot gut. That is in my ten worst of all time. Oof. Okay, go ahead. I don't know. I think I got you beat with my entries. So my worst part three. And at this point, I can't even believe they. I understand why they made a two. I don't know why they made a three, and then they made a four. And oh, thank God it ended there. It's Jaws three, three D. Yeah. yeah. Starring Dennis Quaid and Louis Gossett Jr. It's Jaws makes his way to attack the the final uh, uh, one of the Brody sons, uh, Michael, who's working at SeaWorld in uh, Orlando or wherever. Holy. Mm-hmm. You're like, like the genius of Spielberg, Roy Schneider, Dreyfus, Robert Shaw is like so far removed from this schlock where... I don't know if you remember, but at the final scenes, like this, like still unmoving shark that's moving towards the screen to elicit the 3D effect, and he crashes through the glass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so bad. Mm-hmm. It's so bad. But like, I think it got worse in Jaws: The Revenge. Like, that's a bad movie. But like, Jaws 3D, like, that just sounds ridiculous. Me saying that title, but it's as bad as it's it's everything as bad as the title elicits. <laughs> Hey, there's a lot of bad threes. I was like, yeah. 
Yeah, there's some things that are in discussion. Yeah, we talked Father Three, Paranormal Activity Three. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would even argue Die Hard Three. I would, I would even give you Back to the Future Part Three. I would even argue too. It's not as bad as some of those, but Return of the Jedi is so lame in comparison to Empire yeah. and A New Hope yeah. that, yeah. I think that's I think that that says it for for the threes. So yeah, man, we've talked about a lot about it. Sequels, superheroes, Shyamalan. Um, we got some exciting stuff coming up next. So Matt, just to give the viewers a little, you know, to whet their appetite, why don't you unveil the next cask? Next cask, we're gonna title the Gun and the Girl, and this is going to be led off with Serenity. So if you're a fan of film noir. That's essentially what this next trilogy, this next three mm-hmm. movie sequence is going to be. If you don't know what film noir is, I want to introduce you to the best genre that doesn't get made anymore. Serenity is a really important movie for me, as this is my particular favorite genre of all film. We need a score. We've sort of already decided on what the three films that we're going to review are, but Serenity will be first off the bat. And if you listen to the first podcast, I told you this is the movie that I was most looking forward to in 2019. In in front of glass. Mm-hmm. Well, not really, but I couldn't use that. So yeah, right there. Excellent. Really looking forward to the this this next this next journey. And let's raise one up. I want to salute M Night Shyamalan because at least you gave us. This final entry in the in the series closure closure and we saw it and damn we don't have to talk about it anymore it happened I'm like sure we won't talk about it anymore <laughs> yeah that's a victory so <laughs> you know cheers to Shyamalan you know cheers to the listeners and we're gonna be back with you uh, uh, next week with our review of Serenity so thank you again and uh, cheers, cheers to all of you cheers and we'll see you next week take care everybody. Thank you for listening to Rise Smile Films. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay in the know for future episodes. And be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, and Podbean. Glass is property of Blinding Edge Pictures, Bloomhouse Productions, Universal Pictures, and Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures, and no copyright infringement is intended. Until next time, cheers. I've turned off the water hoses in your room, David. There's only the door left. Elijah. It's metal. But you can't get through it because people's bones break against metal. And you're nothing special. A lot of people are going to die, Overseer, if you don't get through that door.